Hello and welcome to Independent Thinking, the weekly podcast from Chatham House. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, the director. This week, we're talking about the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan and whether the West should talk to the Taliban. It's been two years since Kabul fell to the Taliban in a shocking end to over 20 years of Western intervention. The Taliban are now the de facto government, but remain unrecognized by any country in the world, although some have offered diplomatic links. Meanwhile, international attention has largely turned away from Afghanistan, despite a crippling humanitarian crisis. We're going to talk about whether, having lost the war against the Taliban, the West should talk to them now. We're also going to look more broadly at the situation on the ground and the current position of women under the Taliban, which has attracted much, much attention. Many found their voices, new roles and hope for the future in the preceding two decades. Has that all gone for good? Joining me down the line from Washington, we have Ambassador Roya Ramani, Afghanistan's ambassador to the United States under President Ashraf Ghani and the first woman to hold the role. Welcome, Roya. Thank you. Very good to have you with us. Joining us as well is Shahrazad Akbar, a distinguished human rights activist and an academy associate with our international law program. Welcome. Thank you. Very good to have you as well. And returning to the podcast, we have Tobias Elwood, Conservative MP for Bournemouth East, who created a storm with his declaration after a visit to the country that it was time to talk to the Taliban, so much so that he had to step down as chair of the Commons Defence Committee, but has been writing and speaking eloquently about why he stands by his views. Welcome, Tobias. Good to be here. Very good to have you all. Well, let's start with our first point. Should the West, other countries, now talk to the Taliban? And I wondered, Roya, if you could tell us a bit about the conditions now on the ground in Afghanistan. First of all, uh, thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. To your question, should the West talk to the Taliban? I believe the West have been talking to the Taliban all along. In fact, sometimes more than we wanted. Um, So... um, in my recent piece, I discussed this as talks and tantrums. Uh, since August 2021, uh, the West has taken this position that uh, they, they try to talk to the Taliban and find a way to deal with them and try to push them where they find, uh, find it comfortable in terms of traditional diplomacy. Uh, and then the Taliban don't play ball and then they throw a tantrum. Uh, and then there is another edict uh, issued by the Taliban, and then they throw a tantrum and they say, okay, we are not talking to you, and this uh, takes a couple of months, and then they go back and knock-knock and say, how can we do something? So the, Tal- uh, the, the West have been talking to the Taliban all along. The question is, how they should be talking. I don't. So this is really interesting. Can I can I just stop you there for a second? I do want to hear about how they should be talking. But we're using this blanket term, the West. Who do you mean by they? Can you take us away as you begin to talk of tantrums and so on? It would be good to understand a bit more about how these contacts are happening. Which countries? Forty-one countries that went in alliance to with the United States back to Afghanistan, and they have been still looking at one another and a few specific countries who had the lead, few countries in Europe, the United States, of course, UK, uh, so all all of them together uh, is what constitutes they. 
or what we are referring the West or okay. the, and that that was my understanding of you referring to the West. Yeah, no, that's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That, that, that was what I meant. But I wanted to be clear as you got into this and you were just about to take us into uh, your point about how you feel these countries should talk to the Taliban. Exactly. I, I believe that uh, traditional diplomatic tools and utilization of them with the Taliban has time and again has failed. It's not going, it hasn't borne and it's not going to bear any positive outcome. The Taliban work uh, in a completely different system. They have a different uh, logic, they have the uh, power of ideology and their allegiance have been continuously undermined. And with understanding that is super important in shaping how you are going to engage with them. Uh, engaging the same so, so what so what what would you recommend so you're talking about how countries should talk to the Taliban yet from what you've just said I wonder whether you're suggesting actually there's not very much point at all no I, absolutely not I in fact I I believe that there definitely should be continuous engagement but the the format of it has to be different and and when I am saying engagement it is not to start off by bringing Taliban to the different western capitals or or try to offer them the UN seat but rather finding ways how to work in the country and uplift the very communities that have been continuously whether it's under this regime or the previous regime undermined there has been too much of focus of the west on the on the regimes and the governments the the, the current de facto one and the previous ones and a lot less attention to the very population that they are trying to govern with uh, the external influences so let me get to the real point how what what should be done basically the problem is a lack of strategy in fact there is no policy in terms of what to do with afghanistan it wasn't it's not a new uh, issue or a new problem hmm. it was the same problem before too there was no definition of winning hmm. for the country uh, that, that went into mm. Afghanistan to win the war. Now, I think that's right. So now, now, how, how do you? Are you talking about giving uh, humanitarian aid? Are you talking about trying to help with hospitals? Are you trying to talk about local level? What 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 is the how? Okay, that you're great, great. trying to describe. Great. Um, the how is as much humanitarian import, uh, aid is important, but it's nothing but the lifeline. I think it creates dependency. It is not sufficient. It's not sustainable. It's not helpful at all in the long term. What I am talking about the how is economic revitalization, development aid, helping the communities lift up and find their way and chart that. There is ways, it's innovative, it's thinking out of the box, it's not traditional, but this is the only way in the absence of any other policy and strategy for Afghanistan, which in the past has only been centered around the security concern and the women's right to sugarcoat it. Okay, so thank you very much for that. And it's interesting you make that point. It's, there's a long tradition, as you know, of trying to improve economic circumstances, uh, even if you can't touch the politics. Sherazad, what do you make of this? Would you agree with that? Well, I think so. I certainly agree with uh, Ambassador Rahmoni that the engagement so far has failed. Um, there's a lot of talk of engagement, but it's not very clearly defined what the aims of this engagement are and um, at what level this should happen. Um, I'm also um, 
invested in improving the economic situation in Afghanistan, and I, I agree that in the long term, um, international assistance is not sufficient. And I, um, as, as someone who has been a refugee before when the Taliban first came to power, um, I know that no one aspires to stand in lines to get uh, assist, food assistance. Mm. This is not a life that people aspire to, and Afghans shouldn't have to live this life. But in terms of how, I think that's where uh, you know, we need to really talk more about these innovative strategies, because the risk is, of course, if you are, you know, continuing uh, starting to invest in Afghanistan, opening up the economic space in that way, how, to what extent are you empowering the Taliban? Even about the international humanitarian assistance, there are a lot of questions about oversight and how international humanitarian assistance is being rechanneled to Taliban fighters, that there's a policy of ethnic discrimination that's going on, that they are, they are having... Well, we see in action how Taliban are actually determining the policy of international humanitarian organizations because right now the UN is delivering, some UN entities are delivering humanitarian assistance without their female staff going to work. You know, being able to do that work, that goes against humanitarian principles of non-discrimination itself. Yeah. So in this very challenging environment, how do we do that, you know, further economic development without, without empowering a very, very brutal regime? Right. And, and I just want to be clear, are you indicating that you, you feel nonetheless that countries should engage with the Taliban now or or are these all these concerns too much and you feel that they should I think no I do think that there needs to be engagement I think engagement should be mostly at operational level with the uh, aim of delivering humanitarian assistance and um, at the technical level I don't think senior diplomats should travel and meet the Taliban particularly in male only mm -hmm. delegations I don't think Taliban should be invited to uh, forums I don't think there should be um, you know kind of legitimization of Taliban mm -hmm. policies so I think engagement should be very principled in the sense that at the heart of it, empowering Afghan people and communities um, should come along with accountability for Taliban's crime against humanity, particularly around women's rights. And, you know, uh, traditional diplomacy uh, is not is not going to work. We have to be creative and innovative, but I'm not against engagement. I think the level is important and it's important that engagement does not normalize the Taliban. The aim is to empower Afghans mm -hmm. and it's, it's going to be tricky, but I see some engagement that's often backfires because it doesn't send the right message to the Afghan population, but okay. Taliban use it to, to say to the Afghans, look, international community accepts us in our policies. They think our, our oppression of women's rights is a domestic issue. And, and that, that's, that's where it becomes very, very uh, problematic. Tobias Elwood, uh, we've had two views there, not opposite, but different. Um, and at the end, hearing from Shirazad, look, the Taliban are very adept at using people who go there and say, ah, uh, uh, here's the case for engagement, using that as their own PR. And in a sense, is that what happened to you? Yeah, there are no easy options here. Uh, and I understand the absolutist view that we should have no truck with the Taliban, given their ruthless interpretation of Sharia law and those increased restrictions, which we want to see lifted, but are actually going the wrong way. But what's already been articulated already is, is the absence of a strategy. Uh, shouting from afar is not working. We've actually cut back on our international aid. And the result is, is that we're actually punishing the 40 million Afghan people who feel abandoned because the Taliban remain in charge. And what I saw on my visit was a, a country where there's an eerie calm 
but I see an economic collapse or a humanitarian catastrophe or indeed the rise of terrorism again, all taking place in the next year or two, unless we start to engage. I listened very carefully to Rosa Atunbaeva, who is the uh, head of UNAMA, so the head of the United Nations in Afghanistan, who I met in Kabul. And she spoke yesterday at the United Nations Security Council, made it clear that um, engagement does not equal recognition, but engagement can lead to greater support being provided to the people of Afghanistan. She has about one-fifth to about a third of the finance she requires from the international community to pay for all her projects. So she can't even afford to keep those projects going because the international community has essentially forgotten about Afghanistan. So I'm really pleased that we're discussing this here today, but we do need to work together. Listen to the Afghans. They need to lead on this, but we need to support and recognize that there is a, a time frame here that's going to work against us if we don't have a better strategy of understanding. My call was simply to get the and, and, and work team. against uh, work against us in, in what way? I think you made the point after your trip that um, if if there is economic collapse, uh, you can get terrorism moving in again. You can get a you know branch of of, of ISIS and, and and so on. So, what is the kind of engagement that you're uh, you're talking about? Is it MPs and heads of select committees going uh, going on on exploratory visits? Is it humanitarian aid? And you made a distinction as well, I think, between the old guard Taliban down in, in Kandahar and the ones uh, r actually running some of the government in, in, in Kabul. Is one better than the other well, for engagement? Let's start with that then. Uh, by engaging, by reopening embassies, we can better understand um, the governance that's taking place there. And you're right. That's what I picked up. And it's been others have reported as well that the old guard, if you like, uh, Akhunzada, the um, supreme leader in, in uh, the reclusive leader in uh, Kandahar, has a very different political outlook uh, than what are called the practitioners. You have to run the ministries in Kabul. And these diktats, these decrees that are increasing uh, with ever uh, stringent measures against women are coming from Kandahar. So to better understand how you can support those based in Kabul is something that you can't do from afar. You need to engage and better understand. The big takeaway I took from, again, UNAMA was absolutely this concern about education. Uh, and it's made international headlines, those over the age of 11 uh, girls not able to be educated. And that we absolutely must challenge. But the wider challenge that she came up with that she mentioned was the fact that um, half of all children under the age of 11. So half of the population under the age of 11, boys and girls are getting no education whatsoever because the schools don't exist. The money isn't there. The international community is not coming forward to support that. That means that half the growing population, the next generation could be easily prone to be recruited by for extremism. It also means that the country so, so doesn't have the economic capability because you don't have the workforce, the future workforce as well. These are the sort of details that we're discussing now that we can learn and understand better, form that strategy, which hopefully can take us in a better direction than we're currently going at the moment. Because as I say, it's not going the right way right now. No, and uh, as uh, in that respect, the clock is very much against us and the people of Afghanistan that every year of, is a year of lost education and, and so on. But I th think it's unfair to say the international community has either forgotten about Afghanistan or uh, and that the aid community, the, the NGO community has as well. It is. It, it, let's turn to our second subject, which was the, the one that proved very 
controversial for you, uh, Tobias Elwood, uh, whether or not you'd given enough attention in your remarks uh, after your trip to the standing of women there, because it is the the uh, despair and fury of the international community at what the Taliban are doing towards women that has caused them to withhold support. And so we're you know looking at this dilemma that you've all three of you described of, of the country really suffering, but countries trying to take a principled stand, partly because of, of what they want to do um, for women. Roya, do you think that the international community withholding um, support is going to help the status of women and the rights of women in Afghanistan or just make everything worse? Absolutely not. Who are you punishing? It's very easy to be sitting in the exotic capitals of countries around the world and wave the banners and say, cut the aid, sanction this, sanction that. I'm not talking about sanction on the Taliban, by the way. I think it's useful and we should expand that. But to sanction economic activities, to the, the, the crippled economy that we have been talking about, to say cut out the very aid the, 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 that is barely trickling, the, the food rations has been reduced from 100% of what is needed for a human being to stay alive in a day to 75% and now down to 50%. And to say, let's cut that down because it's not principal engagement is not coming only from a position of luxury, but it is coming from a position of, I, I would say, inhuman. People who do not understand what it means to be hungry, what it means to be cold, what it means to be to the point to sell one kid to feed the rest of the kids. In the first seven months of the Taliban's takeover, Save the Children reported that 121,000 children were sold in order to feed the rest of the family. Essentially for food, to to, to support the family. These are desperate horrendous exactly. stories exactly so so to say to take the higher moral uh, ground and to turn this into an intellectual debate is a self-serving prophecy for some that are sitting comfortably in these different capitals and can afford to say those things completely detached from the 40 percent uh, of 40 million people who are still living in the country you're talking about a desperate situation there of, of people, you know, on the on the edge of, of starving. Um, at the same time, we have this much covered predicament of women under the Taliban, the hopes uh, that they'd build up over over 20 years snatched away. What would you like to see done for them? What is the kind of pressure that other countries can put um, exactly. on the country? Yes. So cutting, uh, if you cut out eight, families suffer. People suffer. That people. You've made the point really well, but right. it's notoriously hard to target sanctions or punishment just at a regime, not at uh, and and not have ordinary people mm -hmm. suffer. But on this particular point, of women are suffering too, in in in, in Afghanistan and from the the um, removal of many of their rights, including their ability to work. Um, and, and to get education and so on. What do you, would you like to see done about that? Uh, usually when I am asked about what can be done, my 
like immediate reaction is let's first ask ourselves about our level of commitment and wealth. And it's usually to the countries, to these big capitals that, that I, I happen uh, to be. The reason I am saying that, that would really determine how we can help. There is a variety of ways to address that. So are, are we able to bring uh, the right level of coordination among all the countries who care about this issue to bring this issue of women's uh, starvation rights to the center of discussion, to marry it with the, their real concern. There is a lot of emotion when it comes to Afghanistan, but a lot less pragmatism. Can but we bring for, so for that ex example, to the discussion of security? I'm, I'm getting to it. Could the, could the national security advisor, foreign ministers, um, the, the heads of treasuries, central banks, could include that matter into their discussion? Could they strategize and look at it as Afghanistan is becoming the headquarters of the terrorist groups once again? Could that discussion be incorporated? That would be a pragmatic way to, to address the issue at scale. When it comes to the issue of education, there is piecemeal efforts. Oh, there is on online education. Oh, there is uh, uh, home schools. All of them important, I would say. But piecemeal. How do you okay. scale? Let me, uh, Shahrazad, mm -hmm. um, can I bring you in at this point? Are you in touch with women in Afghanistan at the moment? Um, and by the nature of your work, how would you describe um, their, their predicament at the moment? Thank you. Yes, I mean, I am in touch uh, with uh, women inside Afghanistan, particularly women who are trying to find a way to resist Taliban's oppression. Um, and it's increasingly difficult. Um, all windows, all, all doors have been closed to women. All possibilities are taken away. Um, you know, even when women are allowed to work for NGOs or the UN, that created some possibility for them to help uh, family members, to help um, themselves, to have a reason for hope. Now it's um, there's really a sense of hopelessness and darkness. Additionally, Taliban are really because that that was taken away as well, yes. wasn't it? The, the so, right to work for NGOs. Yes, the UN. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, women cannot work for NGOs and UN uh, anymore, except than healthcare and education, but there are also restrictions there. Um, my own cousin, a very committed midwife from North Afghanistan, who worked for years in South Afghanistan and uh, learned Pashto to do her work. Uh, she, she speaks Uzbek at home. She well, she never wanted to leave Afghanistan. She continued to work the first year of Taliban. Now she has stopped and she wants to leave or she uh, she's completely depressed because as even as a healthcare provider, which is an allowed um, uh, you know, uh, sector. There are so many restrictions on her, on her dress, on someone accompanying her. She doesn't have a spare male family member to accompany her to work every day or to live in the province where her services are required. You know, groups of groups of physicians are leaving Afghanistan. Eye physicians, very um, um, well trained. Uh, you know, um, professionals, families are leaving Afghanistan because their daughters can't go to school. So I think the impact on women's rights is an is impacting economy as well. It's intertwined with the economy and it's also intertwined with security because yes, Taliban are saying we can't provide for schools, we need international aid, but they are opening madrasas left and right. In my own province, they have opened madrasas where they provide not only schooling, but also in some cases food as an incentive for 
for, for people to send their children, boys to madrasas and even girls to madrasas. So I do think that the women's rights situation is dire, but it also has economic and security implications. It goes beyond the provision of women and girls from school. And that's where I agree that a big approach is needed, a big strategic approach is needed. We are the importance, the linkage. So, what, so let's, let's just uh, uh, dig into this a bit. I mean, Roy has been describing to us, saying this country is, is starving. Many, many people are, are starving. Uh, we need to keep the aid flowing. Uh, you can't sit in comfortable countries and um, be idealistic about women's rights. These people need the food and, and the economic help to keep going. How do you think in that context other countries outside Afghanistan should take on this question of women's rights? What should they do about it? The f- do they supply the aid or don't they? First, can I think continue an increase international aid. Second, more cohesion between the region and the West on how to talk Taliban about women's rights and the human rights situation because there are extrajudicial killings, detentions, targeting of minorities, etc., a whole range of human rights issues, and the fact that Taliban don't want to talk to other Afghans. Third is there are also very uh, simple things that can be done, which is beyond humanitarian assistance, keep keep the collectives and civic activism alive in Afghanistan through providing support to women who are running courses, who are running schools, who are trying to, um, to continue to educate Afghans in any way they can, and supporting Afghan human rights community inside the country, outside the country, in the region. Another very concrete thing that, I mean, Western countries always say, oh, there, there's not much we can do with the Taliban. Well, Maybe not much that you can do with the Taliban. I don't even fully agree with that. But what about Afghans that have that are trying to flee Taliban's persecution, that had worked for these Western nations? Look at UK's own situation, the way it's treating people who are supposed to be in the UK, who have been waiting for more than two years, who are stranded in the region or at risk inside Afghanistan, or who arrived in the UK and spent years, more than a year, two years, some of them, in hotels without any assistance. So I think there is a level of hypocrisy here in terms of, oh, we don't know what to do. We have run out of ideas. There's nothing that can be done. Thank you for that. So, Tobias, this is your chance to say what you think the UK in particular should do um, about this question of women in Afghanistan. Well, we need to listen to the Afghan voices, both inside Afghanistan and indeed uh, outside. the more we can actually lean in and agree a strategy. Um, what has happened over the last couple of months, which I think is a very, very good thing, is that we've woken up to the fact that we've forgotten about Afghanistan and the seriousness of where the country is going, the fact that it could potentially collapse. And the, what I saw in, in Kabul was a recognition by the, the Taliban leaders there that this was economically untenable. I think it's already been mentioned here that the, the country has probably got a couple of years before it implodes. The, as the head of UNAMA was talking about um, uh, almost half the population facing food insecurity uh, this coming winter. And therefore, uh, those elements of the Taliban in Kabul recognize they can't do this without international support. Therefore, we need to learn and understand what's going on. We need to open the British Embassy and start to engage on the ground there in the country and better engage with the international community, the diaspora communities as well, to establish what, you know, the direction of travel and form that strategy. What's really clear is that nobody is calling for regime change. Nobody's calling. I don't hear that at all. And if you're not calling for regime change, then you, you have to ask yourself how 
can you possibly influence what's going on? How can you, you advance and move forward and take the country uh, to a better place than it currently is at the moment? We have a couple of generations that were educated, women that were educated uh, in the country. And we've heard, it's been ex expressed today, how that is all being lost because of where the country is going now because of those diktats that are coming out of Kandahar itself. I certainly don't have the answers, but I would encourage the Foreign Office, I would encourage the, the, the US State Department as well to listen and engage uh, with those who are interested and wanting to advance the voices, particularly the female voices, develop an international strategy and engage. Uh, listen to the United Nations, the head of the United Nations in Kabul, because only that way can we uh, avoid this country collapsing. This country has endured decades decades of conflict. There's an eerie calm there now. And really, we do not want history to repeat itself. But ultimately, we, the longer we wait and just shout from afar, the more the hardship, more those diktats from uh, Kandahar keep coming out. Hmm. Tobias Elwood, thank you very much. And as Sherazad pointed out, there are a lot of Afghans here that people can listen to. Thank you all very much. We're going to have to stop there. Um, I don't completely accept the uh, the point that the world has forgotten about it, but certainly at Chatham House we haven't, and we are going to keep uh, returning to this. So thank you all very much, Roya Ramani, Sherazad Akbar, and Tobias Elwood. Do follow them all on Twitter, and we'll put the links in the show notes below. A reminder that you can find all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, all major platforms, as well as through our social media. Please do like, follow, subscribe, leave us a review. And you can find out more about all our work, all our events, and this is really the peak, peak season in the next couple of months, um, or to become a member, and we would love to have you on our website, chathamhouse.org, and there you can follow the work of all our programs, including the International Law Programme. So goodbye from me, Bromwell Maddox. Thank you for listening. Thank you.